Hey guys, so today we start a new, um, s not series, it's perhaps over by tomorrow, so we start a new um, Saturday, Sunday topic, and uh, uh, the title that we have and that you can use if you want to is trifecta, as in something that happens one after the other, something that happens together. You can Google the exact meaning of trifecta later, but here's what we'll be talking about for the next two sessions. If you want a title, it's trifecta. Basically, it's faith, anointing, glory. That's what we'll be covering over the next two days. Faith, anointing, and glory. And I call it a trifecta because I think all three are necessary in the season that we find ourselves in. All three are necessary in the season that we find ourselves in. Uh, they are determinant of how the season goes. They are progressive, as in they'll you go from faith to anointing to glory, and yet they are cyclical or cyclical, so they keep repeating too. Um, one of the scriptures that uh, I read in John chapter 2, verse 11, particularly from the NIRV, the reader's version, here's what it says. That was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs. He did it at Cana in Galilee. Jesus showed his glory by doing it, and his disciples put their faith in him. The reason I like that verse, and particularly from the NIRV, is because in that verse you have the idea of anointing through which Jesus did signs, the disciples putting their faith in him, and he revealing his glory. Uh, that's one of the reasons I picked on that verse, and from that particular version, John chapter 2, verse 11. And so these are the three things we're going to examine today and tomorrow. And so today will be part one, and we'll stop when we need to stop. So let's start with the idea of faith. I know we've talked about it a lot. So that'll be perhaps the one that I touch um, the least. Um, I want to uh, think of faith for the sake of this teaching as the law of expectation. The law of expectation. That... Um, For what we are doing right now, based on the promise that God has given and based on the things he says he plans to do, I must have expectation. I must live by the law of expectation because there is power in expectancy. 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 And the capacity of your expectation the capacity of your expectation, the capacity of your expectation determines the capacity of your expectation, the capacity of your expectation determines the largeness of your faith, determines the largeness of your faith, and therefore the outcome. 
or exploit. The scale of your exploits is dependent on the largeness of your faith, which is dependent on the uh, uh, capacity of, of your expectation. And so power is released in expectancy. If people have questions, they can still put it up on the TV, right? Okay. So, for what we are doing right now, which is this idea of a global revival, especially among the 12s to the 39s, that is a mighty exploit and requires the largeness of faith which requires a capacity for expectation which requires the law of expectation which then is dependent on what God is saying. God will try you uh, to see how much you can believe. What can you believe for? One of the questions that Jesus often used is what do you want me to do for you? It was a Jesus question that was loaded because it gauged expectancy. What do you want me to do for you? It was a question Jesus often asked and the intent of asking was, hey, in asking you this, let me gauge your expectancy. And so, the deeper my relationship and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, the greater uh, my response to that question. Because if he is infinite, omnipotent, uh, can do anything he wants, sovereign, then he does ask this question not because he's unable to um, do whatever he wants. He asks this question to see how much you expect him to do. I met a man yesterday and he used to work for John Maxwell's um, um, organization called Equip. And when he met uh, John Maxwell, and John Maxwell was planning to hire him, they had covered uh, about 170 or 175 of the 196 countries with their leadership course material. So there were about 20 to 22 countries left. And these were really difficult countries like North Korea, like Afghanistan, like um, Somalia, places like that, about 20 or 22 countries left. That was impossible to go into with leadership material that, was, that had strong uh, Christian roots. And so he meets uh, John Maxwell and then um, they're doing this interview to see whether they should hire him. And this man uh, turns to... John Maxwell and says, do not hire me if you do not intend to reach every country in the world. If you have no intentions of reaching every country in the world, do not hire me. It doesn't matter how much money you throw at me. I'm not interested. So that's how the interview began. And so Maxwell said, but we've spent the last 16 years covering 170 
And since then, these 20, 22 countries are the hardest to get into, and it's not possible. So what makes you think you can? Uh, he said, either I, you will find me uh, accomplishing what I said uh, uh, I will, that I will make sure that this material gets into every country, or you will find me dead in one of those countries trying. But that is the only uh, way that I'm going to be hired, otherwise do not hire me, and it doesn't matter how much you give me, I'm not going to do it. And the, So John Maxwell said, okay, um, sure, we'll hire you, um, but we'll hire you if you do it in three years. And the guy uh, was sitting across and saying to me yesterday, he said three years and he thought to himself, you took 17 years and you've given me the 22 most difficult countries. How are you going to do it? In th uh, why are you asking me to do it in three years? And instead of saying it can't be done in three years, he said, sure, I'll do it. Sometimes expectancy has in it a degree of brashness. Because if you want to engage in mighty exploits with your God, it requires a degree of, not bravado, but a degree of brashness, as in, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to step out of the boat first and then see how it's going to work out. And there's absolute possibility that you might sink. He finishes the 22 countries in one year. <laughs> one year. He goes into every country. John Maxwell's material has reached 196 countries. I was listening to that story and I've known this man. I met this man only twice, once in 2000, I don't know when. Heidi and I met him once and then I met him again yesterday and I thought to myself, Father, I need a degree of brashness that I don't have. My faith is so calculated as in, are you sure God's going to do this? My, my faith should be, this is what I think God wants me to do. If it doesn't work, <laughs> I'll die trying. I'll die trying. This is why Hebrews 11, verse 35 on, has a list of people who died trying, which we never go to. So let's go there today. The not so nice part of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 36 onwards, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were sawed in two, they were killed by the sword, they went about in sheepskin, goatskin, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were well commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Crazy, eh? None of them received what had been promised, and yet... They were well commended for their faith and they died trying. The law of expectation, faith must have expectancy. With this revival, if you hear me saying things during worship and the words, if you hear them, they're always full of expectation. I, I never shrink back from the fact that it is a global revival. I never shrink back from it. Not because repeating it many times will make it happen, but because repeating it many times will help you and me understand what God is up to. 
And because here's the thing, guys, what hollows out faith, what hollows out faith is low expectancy. What hollows out faith is low expectancy. Lower your expectations and it detracts from faith. God will still meet it, but you don't get to know God. Faith gets you to know God better. Faith gets you to please God and faith gets you to know God better. Both happen through faith. All expectancy has an expressed starting point. All expectancy has a starting point. Whenever you have expectancy, there is a visible starting point. Or there is a starting point that you make visible. That's the best way to put it. There's a starting point that you make visible. What do you mean by that? So Abraham is being given a promise saying, listen, uh, you will have children more than the, uh, that will completely populate the earth. And Abraham is important. And so what does God do? God says, listen, Abraham, I want you to go out and count the stars. So there's a counting of stars that happens. With Moses, there's this Red Sea, there's an army behind him. And there is this expectancy in Moses' heart based on who Yahweh is that the sea is going to happen. So ha- open. So what does he do? He stretches out his staff. When it comes to the Passover, Egypt, the, Israel had an expectancy in Egypt that if we put the blood of the lamb upon our doorposts and lentils, that it is possible for the destroyer to skip our homes, pass over our homes, and we will not be affected. When the woman touches the hem of Jesus' garments, without going into the details of it, there was this expectancy that this action is the starting point of what I will get. In the same way, if we look at the revival, one of the things I keep looking back at is there is a point of visibility that we must establish on the earth. Sometimes it is with words. Sometimes it's going back to January, uh, December 31st and remembering this idea of disruptive glory. Sometimes it is referring to the Hebrides revival and that this is 2.0, a version. Sometimes it's going back uh, to 2005 and remembering the words spoken over this church that listen, you will be forebringers of revival, that listen, apostolic Uh, ministries, bishops, young men and women will rise up from amongst you. That it will be a revival that is known not just for its power but for its purity and devotion. These things that are repeated again and again is so that we make visible the starting point of our expectancy. I must be done again and again. Most of the things we are doing are not just uh, attempts to fill air. It's very deliberate. Throughout the Bible, God recommended this. Sometimes so that they would remember, sometimes so that their children would remember. Take 12 stones out of the jar and set it up so that when your kids come back here, they'll know. Memorialize this idea of Passover with uh, unleavened bread. Break bread and as you do, remember 
what I did for you on the cross. The idea of memorializing the expectancy that you have of God, from God, for God, is so critical and you must do it during the week in your own homes. For things that are corporate like the revival and for things that are personal. What evidence is there for your belief? Learn to stay in expectancy, not in diluted hope. Learn to stay in expectancy, not in diluted hope. A farmer, when he um, sows, expects a harvest. He hopes the weather will cooperate, but he expects a harvest. And blessed are you if you know the weather maker, because now you can take hope and expectancy, put them together, and stand knowing that you'll get a great crop. We are not hoping for things. There's an expectant faith like a mother who is pregnant. She's not hoping now that she'll have a child. She is pregnant. She will have the child. Now there's an expectancy. That's to do with this idea of faith, which is critical in this time of revival. Now we move on to the idea of anointing. Faith, anointing, glory. We'll talk about glory tomorrow. We'll talk about anointing now. Anointing is the empowering of the Spirit. Anointing is the empowering of the Spirit. Anointing is the empowering of the Spirit upon you to accomplish God's purpose. To accomplish... God's purpose. To accomplish God's purpose. It's being clothed, it is being clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to do good. It is being clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to do good. Acts 10 verse 38. And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power so that he could go about doing good. This is what the anointing is. The anointing is what helps us seek the lost like the stories we heard from Prashant and from Derek. It helps us heal the sick. It helps us set captives free. Really? Yeah. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. For what? To preach the good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to open prison doors, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of favor. It is the power of the Spirit upon me to accomplish God's purpose. It is being clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to do, to do good. It is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to seek the lost, to heal the sick, to free captives. In fact, the early church was empowered by the Spirit to bear witness boldly to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 5 and eight, but stay in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you with power, 
and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So it's impossible to function without this, eh? Impossible to function without this. And it's one of the things we're going to pray for today. That, oh God, would you anoint us? Because if a revival requires reaching out to those that are lost, those that are sick, broken, shamed, those that are in prison, taken captive, in bondage, and if the song that we sang when we sang the uh, I am a child of God for those that are outside us has to come to pass, then we need the anointing of God. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke upon people. Isaiah 10 or 11, I'm not sure. Or maybe not. Jesus needed it. And so if Jesus needed it to do what he did on earth, because in Luke 4.18, Jesus opens the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61 and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me. If Jesus needed an anointing, may I suggest to you that I need it and you need it and that we need it uh, uh, to accomplish particularly what God has for us right now. I said earlier that anointing is the empowering of the spirit upon you to accomplish God's purpose. God's purpose is a foot on the earth and it is that he's bringing a global revival for people between the ages of 10 to 12 to 39 or predominantly, not that others won't be touched, like the man that Derek met was 50. The point being this, for that to happen, it is impossible without a special anointing. What do you mean special? All I mean by special is for a time such as this. That's all I mean by special. Not something that others don't get. The same spirit that anointed Jesus for the work he did is the same spirit who can empower me to be effective in this revival for the sake of the kingdom. So anointing has nature, status. Anointing has nature, anointing has status, anointing has function. Anointing has nature, meaning um, f there are different things that God sends the power of the Spirit upon you to accomplish different ends. The power that was on Samson was different from the power that was on David. The power that was on Saul was different from the power that was on Isaiah. There's a nature to the anointing. There's status or level how much you can do or release to touch people depends on the measure of anointing you receive. How much you can do, how much you release is dependent on the measure that you receive. We must make a distinction between the anointed one and the anointing. All of us have the anointed one living in us. So 1 John 2.27 says the anointing is in you, as in the anointed one, the Christ, lives in you. Now we need to make a distinction between that and what we're talking about. 
David was anointed three times. David was anointed three times. First by Samuel. In 1 Samuel 16, 13, he was anointed where Jesse didn't even line him up. So David was anointed first by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 13. And then later on, the people of Judah anoint him as king, where they say, flesh of, our, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone. And they call him forth and they anoint him. And that's in 2 Samuel 2, 4. And then Israel finally acknowledges him before he goes and reigns in Zion. Israel acknowledges him in 2 Samuel 5, 3, and they anoint him a third time. And with each anointing, his influence increased. Which is to say there are different levels of status of anointing. It is not status in the kingdom. It is how much you do and how much you release depends on the measure that you receive. And that allows you to function a certain way. And this can keep increasing. It can keep increasing. Which then means that anointing takes process to receive and release. Anointing takes a process to receive and release. And it's absolutely attainable, isn't difficult, but here are some of the simple equations we have to re remember. One, yieldedness. Yieldedness creates inflow of the anointing. Yieldedness creates inflow. As in, one who is yielded now has the um, ability to create an inflow from the Spirit of God into your life in any area he chooses to. So I'm not yielding to be a worship leader. I'm not yielding to be a pastor. I'm not yielding to be a thing because that thing is trending. I'm yielded because yieldedness is the finest posture before a holy, mighty, sovereign, excellent creator God. Yieldedness creates inflow. These are the processes if you can engage in your life, will have you increase, will have you walk with David. First, second, third anointings and so on. Faithfulness, and another word for faithfulness is obedience. Faithfulness creates, faithfulness creates capacity. Faithfulness creates capacity. Faithfulness creates capacity. It always has, eh? In the story in Matthew 25, it's the faithfulness of servants that increases their domain. Faithfulness expands your capacity. This is why it's critical and such, a, such an important measure to see and determine a person's faithfulness. God does it, and I do it with you. Show yourself faithful, and God will recommend you. Faithfulness in small things, small things. Faithfulness in big things is easy because big things have a certain weight to them, a certain importance to them. But it's in the small things, man. Faithfulness is measured in small things 
Faithfulness is measured in hiddenness when no one is watching. Faithfulness is measured in diligence that nobody sees. And then if that is the kind of person you are, it doesn't matter that you mess up. It's strange how parents are that way too. A child that they found faithful, it doesn't matter that the child drops Swarovski crystal. Because it's in the process, in the process of faithfulness, if you make mistakes, it's completely okay. Faithfulness creates capacity. Um, we're talking about the anointing now. Yieldedness creates an inflow of anointing. Faithfulness creates capacity for anointing. It expands your ability to handle the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for a God purpose. Character, character creates usability. Character creates usability. Character creates usability. Giftedness is not a sign of your maturity. Character is. And as God sees that here is someone whose character is beginning to match that of his son, it creates high usability. You become someone who is plugged into different situations at the drop of a hat because God knows that your character can withstand fame, your character can withstand offense, your character can withstand pressure, your character can withstand uh, a, a hostile or sometimes wicked situation. And so character creates usability when it comes to anointing. Today's world, because of pixels and because of exactly what is happening right now, live streaming, you never see character because what character can you see in two hours when I'm behind a pulpit and a camera? You don't see character then. Which is why the ones that we think have character end up having such hollowed out, termite-eaten lives that it's only a matter of time before it's exposed. Is usually exposed by the devil so that it can bring disrepute to the kingdom. And God will not, God will cover our sins. He will not cover my hypocrisy and my pretension. Because he's not, he's not a deceptive God. That's a problem. Order creates framework. Order creates a framework for anointing. Order creates framework for anointing. If, if I, I, I may be highly anointed, but if I don't operate in order, if I don't recognize, honor, submit to order, then I do not have a framework for the anointing to flow. And so now what happens is the anointing becomes haphazard, scatters, and it is only a matter of time before it harms someone or does something that um, distorts the character of God. Samson was a typical example of an anointed man who did not operate under any order, be it 
legal order, be it moral order, be it parental order, there was no such thing. When we talk about order, there are three things we need to remember. Honor, submission, uh, I forgot the third one. One must, <laughs> one must honor order, one must submit to order, and then there's a third one. Spiritual giftedness, spiritual giftedness creates room for the anointing, creates room for the anointing. And you may say, ah, so I'm, I, I miss out on that and somebody else lucked out on that. No, the Bible says that there is nobody who's a believer who does not have a spiritual gift. Spiritual giftedness creates room. Uh, how do you arrive at that, Jacob? The Bible says that gifts create room before kings and before people. Spiritual giftedness creates room too. There's a reason why Emily is leading the singing today and not Derek. Yeah? And so... No, that's just sheer talent, okay? That's not spiritual giftedness. But um, I'm just giving that as, a, as an example. But spiritual giftedness is when you realize that you have a gift, and now that you have the gift, the anointing helps. The anointing comes upon that gift so that it creates room so that people listen and see Jesus. And then the last one, foolishness creates outflow, creates outflow. Foolishness creates outflow. As in, without being foolish with the anointing, it is highly unlikely that people will be affected. One has to stop reading 1 Corinthians 13 and drive to a certain place. One has to decide to do something foolish uh, do something that uh, goes against the grain of thinking, goes against your flesh, inconveniences you. Only then do you see the visible outcome of anointing. Foolishness creates an outflow or gives you a visible outcome of the anointing. thing is, guys, when... When it comes to this idea of the Spirit of God empowering us for a particular purpose, when it comes to the idea of anointing, the believer uses faith to place a demand on the anointing. As in, the, the believer must now use the faith that we talked about to place a demand on what he knows is given to him by the Holy Spirit. So as he plays a, places a demand, what is within him begins to come out. Either he places a demand on the anointing or he places a demand on the gift he has or sometimes you can even place a demand on an individual who has a gift. That's what, in a sense, the centurion was doing. I know you can do this. That's what the woman with the issue of blood was doing. I know you can do this. I need to now place a demand. This is what the residents of Jericho were doing. Um, Elisha, we just saw you cross back over the Jordan with uh, Elijah's mantle. We just want you to know that the city is barren and the water is toxic. 
They're placing a demand on someone they see has either a gifting or an anointing. Every time I prophesy, I have to place a demand on the gift or the office or the function within me so that as I place a demand, all I know is as I approach, I'll begin to speak. I do not know what will come, but I know that there is enough faith in me now to place a demand on the gifting or the anointing within me so that what needs to flow from God will flow to a person. Others can place a demand too. I was on Zoom yesterday with a group of guys and Chad was there and um, we were talking and suddenly Chad said, Jacob, can you begin to prophesy on these people here? He knows he can place that demand on me and if he does he knows that the gift will flow faith is required by a believer to place a demand on the anointing or the gift within you or within another individual i often tell people when people ask me questions and i answer them it looks like i knew the answers i have no idea what the answer is but it is as i speak that the answer comes The other thing is, because it is an empowerment by the Holy Spirit for a particular task, um, sometimes you need to go back to the Holy Spirit and ask to be filled again. Because it is surprising how the power of God upon you does leave. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 8 verse 46, that someone touched him and he felt power leaving him. And he was full of the Holy Spirit because he was fully yielded to the Holy Spirit. Since I am not fully yielded to the Holy Spirit, it might sometimes require that I go back and yield myself again. So that what is spent is replenished. So in Luke 8.46, you see that. Luke 8.46, you see Jesus saying, someone touch me. I know power has gone out from me. So the anointing is given to preach the gospel to the poor, we said. The anointing is given to heal and restore people. The anointing is given to proclaim freedom to the captives. The anointing is given to open blind eyes. The anointing is given to set people free. The anointing is given so that it can flow in time of God's favor. And now is that time because God is up to a global revival. So one of the things I want to do before we end is pray that, Oh God, could you anoint us? Wherever you are, go. You'll have to go down on your knees, stand but I just suggest that you get off the sofa because we are talking of, about the power of God being given to us for a purpose that he wants to fulfill. It is being clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to do good. And so before we end, we will pray that. I'll put it up on, the, on a slide and we'll pray that. Not yet, but we will. I just want to set us up for tomorrow and then uh, we'll end with prayer and uh, an old Ron Canoli song about anointing. Guys, faith and anointing have limits because they pertain to man. But there are no limitations to glory. What time is it? We're good. I'll finish in a few minutes. Or maybe I might just do this tomorrow. We might just pray right now and end. Let me just see. Let me just say that 
Anointing is critical for the role you function in. Anointing is critical for the role you function in. Remember those six points? Begin to uh, go over them in your heart, in your mind. Repeat them to yourself, saying, this is what will cause the anointing in me to increase. Initially, these are steps that we follow. After a while, it becomes a habit that we practice. And that's the way to go about it, eh? Where it becomes something that you now so easily walk in and you can't understand why the anointing on your life is increasing. Why? Because one, you have decided that you will be more and more yielded every day. And because of that, it creates an inflow without you even knowing it. Two, you find that you are faithful in the little that has been given to you. It doesn't matter how long you have to. You know, I was telling someone yesterday, I was, um, yeah, no worries. Uh, faithfulness uh, creates capacity. Your capacity increases. God says, boy, this fellow of mine, he just continues to be faithful. He doesn't know it, but his capacity is increasing. Character. Character causes your usability to increase. Because in a wealthy home are vessels, some of gold and some of clay. The good ones are used for guests, the bad ones are kept away. If you stay away from sin, which is good character, you're like a vessel of gold used for the very best, used for Christ alone. Second Timothy 2, 20-22. Character creates usability. Order creates a framework. I've met far too many anointed people that do not know how to stay within order. They do not honor order, they do not recognize order. Or if they do, it is from the lips and from the mind and not from the heart. Submission to order is always a heart condition. Remember the story of the two sons. One son said, no, I will not go. The other son said, I will go. The one who said, I will not go, went. And the one who said, I will go, did not go. Jesus was talking about two sons. Order creates framework. The next one was? Spiritual giftedness creates room. Now that I know I have certain gifts, now that I know that I have the ability to teach, now that I know that I have a prophetic ability, let's just take those two for now. Now that I know I have those abilities, I, I become more and more confident because I know that God will empower me to do this well. Not so that I become the best teacher or best prophetic person, but so that others benefit more. The greater the anointing, the greater the God power released, and the greater people benefit. And then the last one is foolishness creates outflow. If you're anointed, you must be foolish. 